This is The Predictive Marketer, the weekly podcast featuring interviews with the most influential predictive marketing professionals on the planet to tell us what's working today and what's coming tomorrow. The Predictive Marketer is brought to you by SQ Media. In episode four of The Predictive Marketer, we're joined by Dr. Kira Radinsky, Chief Technology Officer and Co-Founder of Sales Predict, where she is pioneering artificial intelligence-based predictive analytics solutions that transform the way companies do business. Kira was recently recognized in Forbes 30 Under 30 in Enterprise Tech. She was also named to the prestigious 35 Young Innovators Under 35 by the MIT Technology Review. Forbes named her one of the 50 most influential women in Israel. She is a frequent presenter at global tech and industry conferences, including TEDx, World Wide Web, and Inbound. We will discuss the rapid growth of SalesPredict, their automated algorithmic updating, which enables more accurate predictions for their clients and enables SalesPredict to scale. We will discuss Kira's view on the future of marketing and SalesPredict's very successful pro bono work utilizing machine learning algorithms in cancer prediction. Perhaps you could start us off with a story. How did you get into data science? Most unique story about that, at least, that I never expected to be in data science. Uh, my dream was always to be a doctor, a medical doctor, and I was just like passionate about how can I change humanity? How can I make a change in the world? We live not for a long time, and how can I actually matter? And this is why I was so interested in medical devices and medical treatments. And when I was 14, I went to a summer camp, uh, which was an international one in the Technion. And they got a lot of people from different places. And what I was doing is research about how uh, natural compounds affect the proliferation of prostate cancer cells. Uh, I must admit that uh, part of the job was actually getting the cancer cells. And uh, it was very interesting to understand where you need to get them from. And my job was actually to feed those cells every day, do statistical analysis, sometimes to see if the amount of uh, different compounds we give them actually affect them or not. And I had one job of making sure that they do not die from some infection. You cannot put your hands inside like an incubator and you feed them. And the most important thing is not to touch them while feeding them. And of course I did that and I pretty much killed all our cells and the entire experiment we did. And after that, my the only mission that would give me is actually doing the statistical analysis behind the scene and actually counting how many cells we had every day. Uh, just to give you some perspective, it was like around 80,000 different cells that you need to count. And you needed to count them manually through a microscope. I pretty much thought that it was the most horrible idea ever to spend my summer actually counting cells every day. And uh, I wrote my first uh, image processing algorithm to actually count how many cells there were, and I went to the pool. <laughs> I think it was the most miserable experience ever. But the good thing is that I found something I really enjoyed. It turned out that doing the statistical analysis, the different understanding, the, even the image processing behind that, I, I became very intrigued because I was reading a lot about how the body behaves, and I saw a lot about that in different machine learning algorithms that happen. Of course, many years after, I understand that there's almost no connection behind it. But this was my passion at the beginning. And more than that, while we're seeing how experts, scientists, actually doing their research, I understood that 
well, there's a lot of missing automations, statistical analysis that we can do there that can make the discovery so much faster. Because we have so much of this information over the world that just taking all this data available, we can make discoveries not in years, we can make them in months. I, I, I can even say we can make them in days. Think about how much analysis of uh, the different blood that being taken from people. So at least in Israel, we have a huge storage of 8 million people, or at least 4 million people since the 70s of different structured data about people. And we can make so much analysis about that, about different probabilities about cancer, diabetes, all types of different diseases. And instead, just a lot of the different sciences, the way they do it today is very much manually, very generously touching the data, understanding it, doing very short analysis and checking on, on live animals. Well, I think we can build entire system that crunches all this data, reads news articles, reads the different published articles around that, and makes those discoveries. So this is what got me into getting more into uh, predictions and future predictions as well. One of the first discoveries I made was trying to predict proliferation of cholera. I was working in Microsoft Research, and my manager was in touch with the Gates Foundation, and he suggested that we try to predict malaria. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't predict malaria, but we did predict cholera outbreaks. And it turned out that if you take all the news archives since 1800 till today, and you apply deep semantic analysis on it, and you build algorithms that look for patterns in history, abstract them with human knowledge from Wikipedia and other linked data, eventually, you can find an interesting pattern about cholera. And what we found out is that if you have a drought, and two years later of a storms, the probability of, of cholera is very high. Specifically in companies, uh, sorry, in countries with uh, low GDP, which is not surprising, and low concentration of water. We actually improved this model and we got to a point where different NGOs can actually send clean water in time a few months in advance when it identifies this pattern. We apply the same thing for riots, predicting the Sudan riots. We even managed to find patterns in genocides. Well, everything was very negative, as you can say, because the news usually discusses only negative things. Right. And one day I was thinking that, you know what would be really cool about using my system for something really useful? Predicting iPad prices, because I wanted to buy an iPad. <laughs> and what I did, I put a, pretty much an iPad iPad prices into our system, and the system said that iPad prices are going to go up. Well, th this is a significant discovery, not like cholera. Right, right, right. And it turns out that the pattern that it found in the past is that if you have a certain tsunami in Japan, it affects a factory that then sends other materials to another factory, that those factories make the iPad. And this is what got me interested in applying those predictive analytics, mostly in e economics. And this is how Sales Predict pretty much started. I was thinking, hey, we have all this future prediction technology. How can we apply it to actually mimic economics? That's pretty awesome, right? That's an amazing story. And this is what we started almost three years ago. And since then, besides having all these massive data sets that we mine all the time, we also combined it with internal data of companies trying to predict who's their most valuable customer. 
And I think my biggest passion the last few years has become from only predicting the future to actually advancing an entire field in data science. Uh, we call it automatic data science. Google has put a lot of effort on it in the last few years. And it turns out that you can build models, statistical models, almost in an automated way without no loop, with no expert in the loop. And this is what we do. We build an entire array of algorithms, understanding customers' data and data coming from all over the web to build statistical models that try to predict their future customers' churn. And additionally to that, and this one is one of the most uh, things I'm proud of, giving full human readable explanations. Because what I found out is that when I was saying, hey, iPad price is going to go up and not explain it, I wouldn't even believe that. How can you even tell an NGO to send clean water uh, to some cholera place if they don't know why? It turns out that real experts, whether it's doctors, politicians, and even people in sales and decision makers, do not trust black boxes. And we put a lot of thought and effort in, that, in what we do today in sales per day. And I'm pretty proud to say that, well, yeah, when I was 15, I was trying to find a cure to cancer. And today we are leveraging all this knowledge to something not even as big as that, right? We're, set, we're doing it for economics. We're applying pro bono some of those models for cancer for the entire community here. And I really feel proud about what we do today. Let's talk a little bit about sales predict. The company's been growing rapidly. How much has the company raised in venture funding? Uh, we raised up to date $8 million. Fantastic. This year, you've been experiencing 100% quarterly growth and actually tripled your revenue during the first quarter of this year. I'm curious, a year ago, if you were to do a search on predictive marketing, you would not have found much. But today, that's not the case. Can you explain why we're seeing such explosive growth in the B2B predictive marketing space? Definitely. Um, I think that for a lot of organizations, the understanding that they have crucial data that can help them drive their business and get to a point where decisions are being data-driven is becoming even more crucial today. Um, if we think about all the CRM systems and how they helped you create a process inside your sales organizations, they did something even more behind the scenes. They kept the data in a very organized way. So at one point, the technology and the data of the companies became ripe for such technologies. And when the first successes started being held in those industries, more and more people started being use, using it. And I think it's mostly, again, because of the data availability inside the companies about their previous wins and losses. And even more than that, how much public data you can get about companies, people, their different behaviors on the web that we can use to correlate eventually with historical wins and losses of those companies. I think this field is going to even grow more and more. Uh, Wall Street Journal had a huge article about that recently talking about how salespeople walk from madman to mathman. And it comes also from the customers. A lot of customers are doing a lot of their sales on their own. And you just need to know when to intervene in the middle. And they want to hear numbers. They want to know why. And you cannot waste your time on somebody who's irrelevant. From, it's became such a dynamic world in the way sales is done, changed and shifted so much that marketeers have to be much smarter than that.
more than that, the addition of the amounts of money in this field, uh, I think there's been $400 million investments in predictive marketing specifically uh, in the last uh, year and a half, if not two. All of those pretty much created a good atmosphere for companies to understand the need, the quality of the results that they can get from that, and the results talk for themselves. Obviously, there's a lot of companies that have entered the market space. How do you think this will play out? Uh, can the market support them? What are your insights into this? There is a lot of need for predictive solutions. The question is, uh, which one is going to be the winner? And currently, there is no significant winner who controls the market. Almost in all B2B uh, technologies in very similar fields, you see that there's one winner that takes 70% of the market, number two takes 20%, and the rest are fighting for the last 10%. I think this industry is no different, and something very similar is going to happen. Today, all those companies are so young. Maybe Lattice. Lattice has been much longer in the field, coming from a very di uh, different direction, working more in a service mode, actually selling you a service and a data scientist working specifically with you. But I think that eventually this will, will happen in this field as well. And the most important thing is beyond being the best algorithm, the second most important thing is how can you scale? How can you actually build the product without a human behind it, without a data scientist assigned to almost every customer? And getting into a point where all of this is explainable and can be used by non-experts. I think this one going to be the key features to actually understand who's going to be the main one leading the market. And of course, execution, which is uh, very correct almost in every B2B startup. Dr. Kira Radinsky with Sales Predict returns in just a moment. Stay with us. I'm Steve Chenoweth. And this is episode four of The Predictive Marketer. This podcast is made possible by SQ Media, an innovative marketing agency and creators of the predictive marketing framework, making marketing ROI more predictable for our clients. Also by the SQ Media Kiva team, with our partners at Kiva.org, we fulfill our mission to provide entrepreneurial support worldwide. We provide $25 loans, which have a 95% payback rate, to entrepreneurs in third world countries, helping to replace hopelessness with hope and enabling human ingenuity to bring lasting positive change worldwide. We invest in jobs and trade, not aid. Visit us at sqmediateam.com. Can you, uh, you kind of shed some light on the things that Sales Predict is doing differently than the competition. Definitely. What we learned is that building one model and giving it to a customer does not scale. It becomes stale super fast because the way they sell changes, their competition is changing. And as we talked about it, the, the market is so dynamic. And we had companies that the model has become irrelevant after almost a couple of months. And what we did behind the scenes is actually getting to a point where you have a completely automated solution that looks at your wins and losses all the time, always tracks the information about them, builds the model, and pushes it to a customer. So this happens on a weekly basis, just to show you like how dynamic it is. In addition to that, the installation itself is less than five minutes. You just install it. There is no data scientist behind the scenes sitting and actually verifying and overfitting some of this data. 
So this is one thing, actually getting to a point, and there's a lot of statistical problems around this. How do you find linkages into the customer's data? How do you understand that what you did is not overfitted? All of those we have statistical tools to verify completely automated. The second thing, what you referred to as emotional artificial intelligence, is something very recent. Is I realized this a few years ago, and there's a lot of research going on around human-computer interaction that has, has been discussing very similar things, is that eventually when you have a doctor and you're giving him some prediction, this person is going to have cancer. The doctor is not going to follow the system if he has a different gut feeling and he doesn't understand it, because it's a life or death. For cells, it's also life and death. Eventually, this is a deal that can be super important for their company. And not understanding why it was scored high or low is something that, even if the score is super precise, the probabilities are really good, people are not going to use it. And understanding how the human and a computer could actually work together is essential in any predictive model. And I think our industry is only beginning around that to get to a point where everything is explainable and additionally it can drive action. Giving you a prediction for something that you cannot adjust to. So for example, I can show you you're doing really well with uh, companies with more revenues. You cannot go to a company and say, hey, have more revenues, right? in order to actually upsell them. There's different things you can control off, and the models should be rebuilt in a way that drive actions and not only to give predictions. Your system has to build confidence in the users. Is that correct? That's true. Let's go back one step. Automated algorithms, that is a tool that you've built into your system that gives you a competitive advantage. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. What is the most exciting aspect of the work that you do? I think the ability to get the completely autom automating statistical analysis and building machine learning algorithms that do not need support of a data science between, in between is just amazing for me. Because if you think about how artificial intelligence should advance forward, if we always have somebody behind the scene building the models and discovering new hypotheses, it's not going to scale. We actually need to go bigger. And the moment that we're actually building a computer algorithm that can learn itself without the need for me, for somebody else to give them an hypothesis, he actually discovers those hypotheses himself. That's amazing. That's, well, I wouldn't say the singularity, but I think this is one amazing step that we need to take forward, specifically artificial intelligence. And that's what pretty much drives me. And I think that, in general, getting to a point where decision-making is driven by scientific discoveries is something we should all aspire for. Is if you think about it, doctors are making decisions today based on gut feelings. Politicians are driving entire countries based on gut feelings. And if we talk about companies, company CEOs and sales, again, do this by gut feeling. I don't think I decide what to eat today without doing some statistical analysis on that. And getting to a point where we have the tools and easy way of using them, that's pretty much how I imagine the world should be. And this is what's exciting for me. Let me ask you this. Staying on the topic of B2B predictive analytics and predictive marketing, the companies that are implementing predictive marketing today have a competitive advantage. 
No question about that. How long before a company will need predictive marketing just to remain competitive? That's an interesting question. Let's look on a different alternative. Um, let's look at algo trading and how it was done in the past. In the past, trading was done mostly by humans, right? You would go, you decide which stock works, which doesn't. It works. Today, I think uh, the numbers say that at least 60% of the different traffic in trading is done by machines. So still, the machines can calculate really fast which stock to buy, which doesn't. They can reflect on what the crowd thinks and what doesn't. And I think that many companies are not going to do that, going to be left behind. I think that in the past, when I was working in Microsoft, one of the things I noticed about is that when you have certain data, you start building a full monopoly around what you can and cannot do. If you think about the algorithm that Google has, they have an amazing algorithm that were really the first one. But today, because they have so much click data of what people search for and what they clicked for, even if I come with a much better algorithm without this data, it would be super hard for me to scale and get to similar results like Google. So at this point, they have full monopoly on the search uh, area. And I think very similar things are going to happen in predictive marketing. People are going to have the data and the ability is to be faster and more precise and are going to have certain monopolies in their field because they're going to get to the customers first. They're going to be much better than their competition. And the first one who gets to it is going to be the winner. And as we said, in many B2B businesses, especially today, there is one winner who takes 70%, 20%, takes the second one, and the rest fight for the 10%. And I think companies are not going to be focusing on how to drive their business and the execution in a more scientific way might end up to be number two. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, that makes sense. What has been your biggest challenge at Sales Predict? So I think my biggest technological challenge was to build algorithms that can explain themselves. So machine learning community is mostly machine learning uh, people who are coming from computer science and mathematicians. Nobody was actually thinking about how can it be used to a way a human would do it, and we were all optimizing for precision. What today we're trying to do is not only optimize for precision, but also for interpretability, for people to actually understand the white box that we have. And this was the biggest technological challenge that we did. Interesting. Let's talk about the future of marketing and, you know, specifically, how do you see things changing over the next few years? So the way I see it is that today we have data and everybody was working till today about building better data and reaching this data. Today, I think the main focus, and again, it's in the beginning, is building predictions on top of this data. And I think the next generation is going to be building algorithms that work on top of these predictions, that work on top of this data. And I'll describe what I mean. It's the fact that in every point, there's going to be a different type of algorithm deciding what would be the best way to approach Steve. They're going to be deciding different tags to show Steve based on the prediction of whether you're going to be following certain types of marketing or not. I think that even as a society, we need to think about different implications of that. Uh, there's an interesting study in the um, Journal of Economic Review that described um, the, the things that algorithms are actually discriminating. So let's say for me, I'll, uh, there's a much lower chances of me getting an advertisement for an executive role of $200,000 or more compared to men. And if you think about how algorithms work behind the scenes, they optimize for precision, not diversity. And I think that we're going to have a lot of social uh, inclination because of that. 
Um, think about every, let's say you have a minority and a majority. The majority uh, were studying mostly the smart ones went to finance. In the minority, the smart ones went to math. If you build an algorithm, it's going to say smart people go to finance. It's going to be right most of the time. But it's discriminating against the minority. And the reason for that is the way we build those algorithms. The interesting thing would be to think about how you build an entire society that lives with those algorithms working in parallel to us, to the human layer. And we need to build a different social understanding of them and actually give them the same uh, social uh, benefits that we think the world should work by. So I think this is the different inclinations for marketing in the future. I know you're very passionate about the work you've been doing in the medical community with this technology. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I'm building research in Israel about structured data and applying some algorithms in the same field that we're working on today on medical data trying to predict cancer. And I think this is one of the things us as a company are very dedicated to. We're really good in building predictive algorithms. And we're really good in applying them in the predictive. And we give the benefit to people here to also contribute to the community. And the best way we see it is to contribute our data science knowledge. And what we do today, we build models for cancer and diabetes and trying to push personal medicine one step forward, mainly working with the different HMOs here in Israel. And how is that going? Uh, one of our first models has been already uh, approved, meaning they already validated it works well. And it goes for a second stage of uh, smaller validations. At the moment, it's going to be completely validated. We hope it's going to be um, fully activated for all the people here in Israel. That it's going to be predicting whether they're going to have certain types of cancer before and being called to meet a doctor, uh, just pretty much based on their blood tests. That's exciting. It is. This is what exciting for me is that I came for a reason to the statistical analysis and data science and computer science. And I'm just glad that what we do today has a bigger cause. And it's very amazing how very similar algorithms can bring so much value in so much different fields all around predictive analytics. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think uh, your passion is quite inspiring. Uh, it comes through loud and clear. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. It's uh, been a pleasure, a, a joy. So thank you very much. And good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, Steve. Definitely. Thank you for listening to the Predictive Marketer Podcast. You can find complete show notes at thepredictivemarketer.com. Until next time, we're wishing you much success with your marketing.